Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. To give you a very concrete example, Something that became very well known and famous from him is that he was in favor of uh, selling organs and children. Like he publicly said that organs could be, should be sold, uh, you know, should be part of free market transactions as well as kids. Hello and welcome to Behind the Lines, I'm Arthur Snell. Late last year, a man with a silly haircut who'd made his name on TV chat shows was elected president in a country beset by political and economic crisis. Of course, I'm not talking about Donald Trump and the United States, I'm talking about Javier Milei, the self-described anarcho-libertarian president of Argentina. He's someone whose policies are barely believable when you hear them, but he is the president of a major country that has a potential to be a significant player in the world economy, even if it has underperformed for decades. So who exactly is Javier Millet? What does he want? What is he trying to achieve? And will he be able to achieve it? To help answer all of these questions, I'm delighted to be able to be joined by Dr. Laser Brumat, She's a political scientist and researcher based at URAC at Bolzano in North Italy and is a, herself originally from Argentina. Here's Lisa. So today I'm talking to Lisa Brumat, who is a native of Argentina, a political scientist and an expert on the events unfolding in her country. Lisa, welcome. Thank you very much and good morning, Arthur. Thank you for the invitation. So uh, you're joining us from Bolzano in North Italy, but as I mentioned, you are originally from Buenos Aires and you, you are something of a specialist on uh, your home country and its politics. Um, for people who don't follow Argentina closely, and unfortunately, that's, I think, a lot of people in Europe, could you give us a quick uh, summary of the events leading up to the recent presidential election, including the kind of economic crisis that, that the country has faced? 
Okay, well, first of all, we need to understand that Argentina, what, what has happened with this election in Argentina is quite unprecedented. Yeah. There is someone who didn't really have much experience in politics, who was actually in politics and a member of parliament for less than two years, um, who did this skyrocketing career and got to the presidency in an unprecedented move. Yeah. Um, this is very, very rare for Argentine politics that is very territorial um, and people and well, politicians in order to get to power, they usually need to build a national structure that is quite solid uh, to become well known in a big and federal country in order to get to the presidency. That, that, that's what usually happens. This yeah. was not what happened in this case. So this is very, very unprecedented. Um, and it's also unprecedented because of the tone of the political campaign, because of the style of the candidate and now president, and because of a number of things. How yeah. did we get here? Yes. Okay, I will start with the most important point, which is the economy. Yeah. The economy explains very much the, the current situation. Argentina in 2023 had more uh, over 140% inflation. Argentina yeah. has the highest interest rate in the world. Um, it has a very wide deficit. Uh, and uh, around 90% of the GDP in public external debt. Yeah. And if, if I can, uh, that you've described there the, the basics of, a, of an economy in serious trouble. And many people like to uh, remind, uh, you know, remind listeners that Argentina at one time was the richest country in the world, maybe about 100 years ago. Uh, but we we always hear about Argentina's economic struggles, and yet it's a country with amazing natural resources, with hydrocarbons, a, a productive agriculture. It has so many benefits. So why is Argentina's economy in such a mess? <laughs> That's a very good question. Yeah, we could do a twenty a episode podcast, but let let's try and do it in a few minutes. <laughs> okay, Argentina has a structural problem with inflation. Yeah. this has been around for over a hundred years. It's yeah has always been like that. There's a structural problem with inflation and with a lack of trust in the economy. And it all spirals. Yes. So it's part of, of spiraling process. Uh, Argentina also has a quite peculiar economic structure because at the same time it produces, it's very well known for its agriculture and the main export is actually soy. But at the same time, Argentina produces Technology, high technology products, like, for instance, Argentina is one of the main producers in the world of nuclear reactors, um, of software. So this, this very contradictory things coexist in the, in the economic matrix of the country. Um, this leaves the country to not to have, it doesn't really have um, specialization um, in, in economic terms for which it can um, enter in the economic, the, the world trade with, with a particular, one particular product. It produces a little bit of many, many different things. Yeah. This together with uh, a structural problem with inflation and with the lack of trust and with weak currency and dollars leaving the economy leads to recurrent 
crisis. And yeah. it all feeds into a spiral. The other aspect traditionally of uh, politics in Argentina has been the existence of well-established um, sort of groups, sort of ideological groups. People may be familiar with the idea of Peronism and the, the Kirchner family um, uh, who, you know, dominated politics for, for several decades. Um, so perhaps could you explain a little bit about that aspect of, of your country's politics up until last year? Yes, well, Peronism is hard to explain because it's this political movement that was born in the 1940s during the Second World War, more specifically, and it has roots in the armed forces because Peron himself was a military. It evolved into various uh, factions. Um, it's a political ideology movement that defines Argentine politics um, for which Argentine poli politics cannot really be divided into left or right, but more it fits more contemporary politics, more into Peronist or anti-Peronist. And that's how most politicians define themselves. And yeah. this is also one of the factors, the tiredness with this long-standing division between Peronists and anti-Peronists and this very long-term fight between one and the other group. That yeah. is one of the factors that explains why people voted for the third option. That yeah. is neither Peronist or anti-Peronist is a th kind of a third way and out of the of the establishment yeah. of Peronists and anti-Peronists and all the divisions that that brought to society, especially the Kirchnerist during the last 20 years, the Kirchnerist uh, years. Yeah. Since, 20, since, since 2003, for the last 16 years, 20 years, 16 out of 20, the Kirchners have been in power. Yeah. It has been them or their dolphin in the last four years. Uh, but it was basically them, except from a four-year period in which the center-right Macri government uh, was in power. It was mostly them uh, that that governed the country. Yeah. Their style, they are center-left Peronists. Yeah. You can have center-right, extreme far-right, far-left Peronists. There are all sorts of and colors of Peronists, and this yeah. is difficult to understand. It depends on the on the historic period that we talk about. Uh, what they have in common is the is the figure of Peron. Uh, and some of his common ideas on social justice. Yeah. But there can be parents of, of different um, political orientations um, and colors and shapes. So basically what happened during the 20-year-old um, power, the two decades in which Kirchnerism defined Argentine politics was that uh, something that in Argentina is called la grieta, which means the crack. Their style of doing politics created extreme feelings in, in the electorate and in the population. Yeah. So there's a group of people that worships Nestor Kirchner and Cristina Kirchner and their figure, and another group of people that absolutely hates them. I would never, ever, ever vote for them. So a very polarized situation. Yes. Which tired a lot of people. 
yeah. which, uh, and after several years of economic crisis uh, and of the quality of life diminishing very, very badly, yeah, all of these factors together with others as well led people to a situation in which they decided to vote for a third option, something completely different from the Peronists or anti-Peronists. Yeah. They, most of the people, a lot have seen written about this, didn't really know what they were voting for. They just yes. voted for something different. Yeah. From the outside, it's difficult to understand how people could vote for a character like Millet, for someone like Millet who says the things that he actually said in public. It's very, yeah. very hard to understand. But when you live in Argentina, how you see the living conditions and quality of life diminishing so abruptly, so, so badly and so deeply, yeah. and I can explain this to you more if you need to, um, then you can understand why people have voted for anything but them. Yeah. So well, let's talk a bit about Javier Millet, who is now, of course, president of Argentina. As you say, he was he he came from a, a different, um, you know, completely new uh, direction in your country's politics. Um, and uh, initially, his candidacy was thought of as almost like a joke or a kind of political stunt. Um, but prior to his running, what was his public reputation? You know, what what kind of a person? What was what would people say about him? But before his campaign, well, he has been around uh, since twenty eighteen. Yeah. he used to go to talk shows, and that's how he became well known. And he grew his image became quite well known in his talk shows because of his eccentric style and the way in which he spoke. So he kept being invited to these talk shows because he increased the, audi the audience. Yeah. His style, his very particular style, yeah. uh, called a lot of people and, and increased the audience. Yeah. And, that's how, and that's how he became more well-known. Um, his former boss, who is a very one of the richest persons in Argentina, a rich businessman that owns most of the airports of the right. country or all of the airports of the country, was the one who introduced him to several media and eventually also introduced him to the politician that opened the door and initiated his political career. Yeah. Uh, he became a candidate for the parliament for the city of Buenos Aires where he is from. He's from Buenos Aires City. And then he became elected in 2021 yeah. as a member of parliament for Buenos Aires City. So deputy yeah. of Buenos Aires. And let's talk a bit about his, his policies because uh, some people have called him radical right wing. Some people call him libertarian. He, as you say, he, he arrived initially, he was talking a lot about economics and a very kind of... Um, uh, almost extreme idea that the government does almost doesn't need to exist. It, it it's it's like something which is um you know like a sort of extreme Hayekian concept. Um, how, could could you uh, describe uh, the, the main kind of political stance that that he is running on? Well, he's a self-proclaimed. He defines himself 
as an anarcho-capitalist libertarian. <laughs> right. Um. Yeah. So, and he he builds his ideas from nineteen old nineteenth century, late nineteenth century, uh, economic economic ideas from um the Austrian school. Yeah. So Hayek and all these libertarians. Um. Basically, what he thinks is that the state and the welfare state, but the presence of the state it, itself, is the biggest of the biggest flaw that there can be in politics. Yeah. That and he believes almost like a faith in the market, yeah. in the market regulating society and regulating the economy and regulating all aspects of social and political life. Yeah. Um, so this, in practice, this means that everything could be regulated and should be regulated by the market and not by the state. Yeah. How, so to give you a very concrete example, something that became very well known and famous from him is that he was in favor of uh, selling organs and children. Like he publicly said that organs could be, should be sold, uh, you know, should be part of free market transactions as well as kids. So the idea is, if if you're if you're you're poor, you don't have enough money, you say, well, I'll sell one kidney and my youngest daughter, and then I'll, you know, then I'll have, then I'll be okay, and I can buy a new car. Kind of, yeah. So if your free will. Yeah. wants to do that, the state should not prevent you from exercising that yeah. in the free market. Yeah. Okay, so this, he has said a lot of these things. I can give you more examples, but not only in in relation to the free market, but also to many other things. Um, some of his uh, politicians, some of the people in his in his circle have affirmed that even the ocean could be privatized and should be subject to free markets. So whales and right. you know, and, and fish could be freely sold in the market. So that's the idea. So it's, yes. it's a very radical idea. And you have to understand how these, we, we need to understand how, how this could become popular in a country like Argentina, where the state is very present. Yes. Out of this economic situation that I just described, we have to understand that in the last 20 years, while the mismanagement of the economy was absolutely terrible and had devastating consequences for Argentines and for their daily lives, the state right now controls almost every transaction that that Argentinians do. Yeah. Um, salaries in the last five years have been destroyed, real salaries, yeah. because of inflation and because of the devaluation of the peso. This has led to a black market. There is a black market of many things, but especially of the peso. There is a very wide difference between the formal price, the formal value of the peso and the black market value of the peso. It's a 180% difference, more yeah. or less. So it's a very wide difference. And this has a very strong Consequence for the daily lives of Argentines. In the last five years, Argentines have lost a massive 
power of purchasing power. Yes. Um, so to give you an idea, a professional, some of my friends who work, have a full-time employment, legal, and pay their taxes and everything yeah. uh, in IT, let's say. Yeah. So they should be earning more or less well, like a professional. Yes. They are earning $200 a month. Yeah. And and you can't live on that in Argentina because of in, in the inflation and the I mean it's that that is a very um that, that's a very miserable existence basically. It's not just a miserable existence because prices are quite distorted. Yeah. So in Argentina, what happens right now is that some prices, some things, for instance, the technology, computers, um, are more expensive than in Europe. Yeah. And some other things are ridiculously cheap. So, yeah. for instance, public transport is super cheap, or the price of energy, gas, electricity is is very very cheap as well. So the the as inflation causes these distortions in the economy where you don't really have a point of reference. Yeah, yeah. So you don't really know the real costs of anything. Yeah. So if you earn this, you maybe manage. You can live because you have a network, you have a family who supports you, but not everyone is in the same situation and there are many distortions and the gaps and the differences between the social classes classes as a consequence of all these distortions are increasing. Yes. Um, and so the uh, Millet is, you know, comes on a campaign to a sort of total deregulation of the economy. And as, as you've explained, it it was or has been a highly regulated uh, system and the government involved in all kinds of things like renting houses and land ownership and, and the price of food and so on. Um, but what, one of the things I'm interested in is that for a lot of people, certainly if, if for example, I was imagining in Britain someone with this agenda running for election, um, people who are on low incomes, people who rely on the state for public services would be very nervous of of supporting this kind of candidate. So did Malay win with the support of the sort of middle and upper classes or was he able to convince even people um, in the sort of working classes on lower incomes that he was the solution to their problems? Actually, what's what's very illustrative and, and, and unprecedented as well of what just happened with the Millet phenomenon uh, is that a very wide range of people, very different, very different groups of people voted for him yeah. from different social classes. What puts them together is this share anger, tiredness, um, and humiliation that yeah. put them to the extreme. Yes of justifying voting for someone with such extreme ideas. Yeah. Uh, lower people in, in more popular classes, in lower classes, voted for him because of the same reasons that people in upper higher classes voted for him, which are the economy and security. Yeah. Which are the two main interests right now of the average Argentine of any social class. Yeah. Just having a slightly better quality of life and not being robbed or killed or harmed when you develop your everyday life 
yeah and you move around your city yeah yeah there's a problem with security as well yeah. so those are the main two worries and the, what puts them together we also have to add the factor of young people yes young people well people who were born in the 2000s 2003 people who were born um after the 1990s these are people they they are voting they have voted in these elections for the first time and these are people who have never experienced what living in a stable country feels like yeah they have always and forever lived in repetitive crisis yes with no perspectives of a stable future and with no real uh, opportunities for going out of the country so what i said before the fact that the salaries have been destroyed and basically that they are so low even for highly qualified professionals means that in practice if you cross the border of argentina you're immediately poor so you can't really any 20 year old person cannot really aspire to go out of argentina not even to uruguay neighboring countries yeah it's not a real option except that you are from a very very wealthy family yes so imagine that you're a 20 year old person that has gone through several crises plus pandemic has um has their their life options very much limited in on on many uh, dimensions aspects of of your everyday life you just want to you know what would you do you just you would just want to vote for anything that is just different and yeah. that promises you that the situation will somehow finish uh, and that there are other options that even if they are very, very extreme, many, maybe they would work and take them out and give it, give them some hope of a different future. Yeah. It, it, it's like a sort of a, a desperate, it's your last, last throw of the dice, for example. It, it's like a sort of a desperate option, I guess. Um, I, I wanted to talk a, a bit about, what's actually unfolding right now. So Milei won this election. He made these these extraordinary promises and then he announced his emergency decree, which was effectively to remove the government from almost all of, of the economy and and reversing all the um, established policies. Uh, and, and that has now created a political crisis. So perhaps you could explain what, what is now unfolding in, in the sort of in the reaction to his proposed decree? Yeah, well, actually, there were two pieces of legislation, an executive decree and a law that includes many different subjects and topics within it. Right. So what he's trying to do with these two pieces of legislation is what he actually promised to do during his political campaign, which is to completely regulate the economy and to refund Argentina somehow, like the basis of Argentina, to start back from scratch. He said that radical solutions, he promised promised radical solutions and people wanted something. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Radical. Yeah. A big change. Um, so they voted for that, and that's what he's trying to do. Basically, in very broad terms, what these two pieces of legislation are trying to do is try to deregulate and liberalize the labor market, yeah, which is creating a lot of tension and opposition, as you can imagine, with worker unions and with several sectors of the society, yeah, um, to regulate the energy, to increase the prices of energy, to increase the energy prices that are heavily subsidized by the state, and that that is why they're so cheap. Yeah. Um, well, a, a very broad number of things. It's not really touching upon social rights, but um, he's mostly focusing on the economy. He's also he has also set the basis for the privatization of all public companies. Yeah, he wants to begin with media, uh, with TV and radio, with state TV and radio. But then he also wants to privatize the national oil company, uh, and well, everyone. He wants to open the door for every single national company to be yeah. privatized. I think he's even talked about privatizing the central bank, um, which of course is a is a very unique idea. He said he wants to blow it up. Okay, even more. Wants, even more, yeah. He wants and of course, to he, he, it. he has, for, for listeners who've not seen, he, he walks around with a chainsaw. Well, um, the chainsaw symbolizes cutting off the state. Yeah. The welfare state. He doesn't believe in public goods because people should not have equal access to goods. Everyone should pay for what they use. Yeah because it's the market that should regulate. So in a country where public health, public education are the pillars of the country and have been there since forever in Argentina, well, since, since, yeah, decades, almost a century, in Argentina, finishing and cutting off and privatizing public health and public education is something quite radical. And we have to take into account that most of the public opinion in Argentina doesn't favor all these measures. No. Most of the public opinion is not in favor of privatizing health or privatizing education. And it's also not feasible because of the structure of the Argentine state that is federal and those those are tasks of of the provinces. Yeah. So that that kind of leads me to where I wanted to go. My next question, which is you have he had these very bold statements and and, you know, perhaps quite a lot of people voted for him 
almost not really believing that he would be elected, that it was, it was like, I'm, I've got no option. I might as well. I've got nothing to lose. But now he's in power. He, he, has, he has these problems. He doesn't control the Congress, as I understand. He has a minority in the Congress. The trade unions are opposed to a lot of his measures. And as you say, the average person in Argentine society doesn't want a completely privatized state. You know, they, they uh, as, and after all, it is, you know, many countries, middle income and upper income countries have public services because that's what people want. You know, this we can see this. So, so has he already in the first month of his presidency kind of reached the limit of what he can achieve? That is yet to be seen. Because right now, what he's doing in the Congress, well, right now, the Congress is going through a phase of fragmentation and regrouping. Yeah. So his extreme proposals have led, have led to a fragmentation of the, the, the peronist and anti-peronist yeah. uh, parts of the Congress and the, and the, the, the parties, and they are regrouping yeah. in new coalitions. Yeah. Some of these regroupings are actually negotiating with him to pass some of his proposals with some reforms. Yes. This means that some moderate parts of the the political of the politicians of Argentina um, acknowledge that some big changes need to be done in order to to reform. Um, the economy and in order to get back to, to to respond to the electorate's demands. Yeah. But it also means that, well, we, we first need to, to understand that he, uh, in order to govern, he didn't have, as I said before, a national structure. Yeah. So to build this national structure, he made an agreement with the center-right party. At the election, there were three elections and three political parties in this yeah. election. The three elections were first the um, primaries that were held in August, mm. where he became first. The second were in October, the national elections, with, where he came second after the officialist, uh, the, the officialist candidate, and the third one was the ballotage against. The official candidate. Yeah, the, and, the runoff. Him, yeah, the runoff. Yeah. So, um, the the candidate that was left out out of these three was of the center right party, anti Peronist party. Yeah. This they made right before the the runoff. They made an agreement with Millet, and they supported Millet. So the former candidate supported Millet, and this led to a fragmentation and a part of the coalition, the center-right coalition, to leave it and um, and form their own new political grouping within the Congress. Yeah. So what is happening right now is that some parts of the coalition is governing with the center-right party. Yeah. And he's taking many public officials, many directors, ministers from this party because he didn't really have the national structure or the people to fill in all these key positions within the Argentine state. Yes. So that was one. 
and then some of the moderate parts um, of the Congress are negotiating to get some of his policies through. So that's one. He could have, so there is a good chance that he could have the executive decree and substantive parts of this big law package that he sent to Congress approved. Yes. They could pass. And the second thing that we have to that we have to see and we have to evaluate in the next few months are territorial politics. Argentina is a federal country and provinces have different degrees of autonomy. They yeah. do not really have economic autonomy. So he could get some support from the provinces by giving them money, federal money coming yeah. from the central state. That's one. And second, province, provincial politics are very much autonomous. They are not autonomous yeah. in economic terms, but they are much autonomous in political terms. And politics within the provinces have their own different logics that are many times different from the central state. Yeah. So this will really depend on the negotiations that go back and forth between the central state and the province and within each province and within each municipality. He doesn't yeah. have any governor or any mayor. Yeah. It's also unprecedented. So many things are unprecedented. So he has there are situation. many there are many limitations on on what he says he wants to do. Um but I, I wanted to talk a bit about uh some of his other his other views and also um because he as you say, he's a sort of anarcho-libertarian, he's open-minded, he's not socially conservative, which you know, in, in the past sometimes that's been a feature of some some uh, Argentine presidents, but some of his policies don't necessarily match his sort of libertarian mindset. So he's, I think he's very anti-immigration um, and he's also seems to take a, a particular kind of right wing perspective on the period of military dictatorship, which, you know, uh, Argentina lived through in particularly in the 1970s. So is he is he a, a true libertarian? Are his positions on these things? Is that really because he's a populist and and he's he's just playing to a certain type of of, of mentality and and a certain type of voter? We know that he likes Donald Trump. He talks about make Argentina great again. What's your sense? Is he a populist or is he a true libertarian? He is no doubt a populist because of his way of doing politics, of the direct communication with the people. Um, he follows some of the typical characteristics of far-right populists yeah. in developed countries, such as Trump, uh, but also in South America, Bolsonaro, in some aspects, but not in others. Socially speaking, he's not it, he's not a real conservative. It depends on the topic. Yes. For instance, talking about the dictatorship, he didn't really have a strong position on the dictatorship until he made an agreement with the current vice president, Victoria Villarruel, who is the daughter of a military who was part of, uh, of the governing junta, not one of the top ones, but he was involved yeah. in the crimes against humanity. And... And after he made this agreement and, and formed uh, part of his coalition with, with this woman, he started making claims such as um, there was 
what if they were not crimes against humanity what right. the military did was part of uh of an internal war so it was a, between sort of, two different factions in South Argentina so that's a kind of opportunistic adaptation yes. yeah yeah he made an adaptation then about abortion for instance he doesn't yeah. really have uh, a libertarian position on abortion because a libertarian position on abortion is well you can do whatever you want with your body mm. right well he's he he declared himself pro-life so against yeah. abortion so it really really depends in on in terms of migration he's not really anti-migration because he's a descendant of migrants himself and he said this openly he's not really racist or xenophobic as most far-right populists are in yeah. Europe and in the US, yeah. uh, he's just in favor of qualified migration, of good migrants, let's say, between right. brackets. So, so the people that come to Argentina to work and not to commit crime. Uh, so he favors highly qualified migration. And nobody knows how he will attract this highly qualified migration in a country with a destroyed economy that is not really yeah. attractive at all for this for these yeah. qualified people yes yeah <laughs> so um another aspect of uh when you described his plans to sell off the entire economy it reminded me actually of russia in the 1990s where we had these massive privatizations that were pushed very quickly and, and actually of course pushed by western countries and by the imf and the result was that a small number of billionaires ended up owning the Russian economy, and those billionaires eventually became, in you know, effectively servants to Vladimir Putin. So, there we know that Argentina has some very wealthy, very well-established families. Uh, there is, there has been questions of corruption and 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 cronyism have been very present in Argentina's politics. So, is is there a possibility that Millet is just the tool? As you mentioned from the outset, he was financed by a particular uh, media billionaire. Is he just the tool of a kind of billionaire's class that wants to own the economy? I wouldn't really say that. Um, I think there's no empirical evidence to prove that. First of all, I think that he's there for the reasons that I just said. Yeah. Extreme because he's the product, he's an extreme product of an extreme situation. Yes. Of extreme tiredness, of anger, humiliation, yeah. And of new generations that do not accept and do not want to live under those conditions. Yeah. It he also brought brought up the ideas that have been some ideas have been marginalized for yeah. two decades. Argentina, yeah. the last two decades, made enormous progress in social terms. So Argentina is very has has very very progressive legislation for uh, gender rights, for LGBTQ plus rights, yeah. um, in in human rights as well. So there's a portion of the population that didn't feel identified with all these developments, that didn't yeah. feel identified with, you know, this very progressive uh, discourse that they perceived as hegemonic. That, yeah. Let's say, for instance, in Argentina, the feminist movement is one yeah. of the strongest in the world. And right. it has, you know, it has it, the, the ideas and the movement that was initiated in Argentina then spread all mm. over the world. Yeah. Um, 
And many of these people didn't feel identified with that and didn't feel that they could express their ideas freely. What right. Millet did with his lack of filter is represent these people is telling them you can say out loud what you really think yeah and you will not be you will not feel that criticized or or criticized yeah Yeah. Yeah. so he appealed to all these people who think that there was no real um there were no war crimes or crimes against humanity during the dictatorship that you can be against abortion, that you can be anti-feminist, and you can say all these things out loud and not feel criticized or judged for that. Yeah. And in that sense, it, it's very reminiscent of the Donald Trump, uh, the first his first campaign run, where he would say things that the, the kind of media establishment would say is outrageous, and this will end his candidacy. And every time he did it, his popularity increased. Just finally now, I wanted to talk a bit about the, the international perspective. The narrow way that people in Britain look at Argentina, unfortunately, is always about Falklands. And we know that Millet has made some public statements. I, I expect that he's got no intentions to take any action because, of course, he's got a lot of other priorities. But perhaps more importantly, what, what do uh, the neighbours of Argentina think? I think especially Brazil, which, of course, has now uh, its socialist president. It it has an extremely different type of government. Uh, Chile also a, a very very different um, type of government. Uruguay a smaller country, but again very very different. So what what are what are Argentina's big neighbours and economic partners thinking about this rather sort of extraordinary development in in um, it, that's unfolding? Well, they're all behaving in a very cautious way. Yeah, they are evaluating step by step every movement that he's doing because um, to a broad extent the economies of the neighboring countries are interdependent with Argentina's yes every time that there is a big economic crisis in Argentina it affects Uruguay it affects Paraguay you know so they're evaluating closely what what is happening they have not made uh, any major statements against him or anything they're just evaluating what is going on they're very much aware that during his presidency it will not be possible to deepen regional integration so what will likely happen is that mercosur the southern common market which is the main regional integration process in south america grouping argentina uruguay paraguay and brazil and now recently bolivia as well and venezuela but venezuela suspended Mercosur will probably be frozen. What Millet yeah. said that he also wanted to end Mercosur, to finish it, which is not feasible yeah. in political or legal terms for a number of reasons. But what he would likely do is to follow a similar approach to uh, the Uruguayan president, Lacachepo, who wants to flexibilize Mercosur, making it look more like a free trade agreement and less than uh, a customs union, which is currently what Mercosur is right yeah. now. What will likely happen is that regional integration will be frozen and he rely more on bilateral relations and he will use regional forum as basis, platforms for dialogue. Yeah. And um, what I guess the, the real question is uh, whether or not he can actually 
make any achievement or whether or not the the uh these kind of huge ambitions that he has uh he will he'll be able to survive as president i i mean i'm not talking about his life but just his political survival because uh they one of the other traditions of argentina is that people take to the streets you know when they're not when they're not happy and i i recall was it in 99 or 2000 when there were four or five presidents in one week because of of the kind of the, the mass protests um against the sort of economic situation uh so um do you think he will make it to the end of his term well i don't really i can't say i'm a political scientist i can't say what will happen in the future yeah but it really depends on on the factors that i i just mentioned which are mainly three the economy and here it really depends on whether he can manage or not inflation so if yes. he manages to lower inflation that that will make a very big difference so yeah. the management of the economy and of inflation and lowering all the restrictions that the state has put on the economy on, on the daily lives of Argentines that cannot sell or buy dollars freely to say for instance no yes uh second on politics and what will happen with the regrouping or the fragmentation and regrouping of all the political or the different political factions within the Congress and in territorial politics in the provinces. It really depends on how and whether he manages to build these bridges and alliances with yeah. uh, the provincial governors and with the provincial politicians. Um, and third, and as you mentioned before, on society. Argentina, yeah. as you said, is a country where social movements have historical roots and they're very, very strong. In this very big package of legislation that he just put forward, um, he also included a very big restrictions on public for public gatherings and public demonstrations. Yeah. That will very, very likely cause more resistance and more public demonstrations. And it's quite contradictory for a narco-libertarian to um, restrict public gatherings. Yes, and to restrict freedom. Yeah. Uh, it's a way of restricting freedom of speech. Of course. Of thought. But he's actually yeah, trying to do that with the influence of the center-right party that is part of his current coalition. Yeah. The center-right party, particularly Patricia Bullrich, that was the other presidential candidate, the third one that did not make it to the runoff, uh, she is the one who who sustains this most securitist, most security-focused approach to yeah. politics in general, to migration, for instance, yeah. um, and to public demonstrations. Yeah, yeah. So it so, depends on, on the result of these three things, yeah. whether he makes it or not. And is it important, uh, does it make a difference, for example, if, you know, let's say Donald Trump is elected president of the United States uh, on one, obviously they're culturally and stylistically similar, but in a way um, they, as a sort of populist, you know, uh, policies doesn't normally build alliances, you know, or or did are there international events that will help him or or is that do you think it's it's more about internal to Argentina? I would say that it's mostly internal. 
yeah. but it also depends on how he reads international politics. Yeah. He promotes a foreign policy that is uh, completely or mostly orientated towards the Atlantic and the old Western powers. Yeah. So he's very much focused towards the United States and Europe. Yeah. And that's why he rejected the membership to the BRICS, for instance. Yes. Because to prevent uh, to be seen as, as, you know, being close to countries such as Russia, China, or Iran. Yeah. yeah. Um, because to prevent um, the U.S. from being disliked about it. His foreign policy will be very much Atlantic. Um, he's trying to build these alliances and bridges with Europe and the U.S., but without losing bilateral contact with the rest of the countries, where while the the, the former government was more focused towards South-South relations, while keeping a pragmatic and more economy-focused um, uh, relations with with the rest of the world. Yeah, and if he manages to keep um, pragmatic relations that will open him opportunities for international funding, which is the main thing that Argentina uh, needs right now, then I think that he could make it to the end of his term. It really depends on, on the economy and the funding that he gets and how he manages to build relations with the outside world in order to get the economy running. Leza, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you. Thank you, Arthur. Thank you again for the invitation. Thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Lines. It's presented and produced by me, Arthur Snell, and the theme tune is by Matty Pembroke. on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.